0: This podcast is part of the Self-Defense Radio Network. Hi, folks, I'm Bob Main. Welcome to another episode of today's survival show, helping you do what you can with what you have where Ever you are. This is a practical show. I don't go tinfoil hat. I just keep things rooted in common sense. Well, this episode, I want to talk about living debt-free and buying precious metals. That's the two main topics of this show. I want to extend a thank you first, and the thank you is to Clay from the Skilled Gentleman Podcast in the last episode. You heard him talk about home-brewing beer, and I hope that you got a lot out of that. You know, every skill that you can make or develop, any skill that you can develop that's going to help you survive in one way or another is is helpful. And, you know, learning how to brew beer is not something that I've ever done, and it's something I, you know, I thought about one time, but it was kind of unique, kind of a cool subject, unique subject. So, Clay, thanks again. You did a great job. I appreciated it. I listened to it twice, actually, and that was fantastic. I also want to extend another epi- another thank you for to, uh, to Tom Abrams and Cal Wilson, the episode before the last one. Cal Wilson and Tom Abrams. They interviewed with me. Uh, primarily, I just did a lot of listening and asking some questions while we were on the line, all three of us. But two good authors, Cal Wilson, the author of Dirt Cheap, Valuable Prepping, and a couple of other books which can be found on Amazon, which you should buy through today's Survival Show Amazon store. And, of course, Tom Abrams, uh, tons of books that he's written and uh, prepping books and things like that. Just fantastic. The Traveler Series. Check them out. Check out Tom Abrams. And, again on Amazon, on Today's Survival Show, Amazon Store, which can be found at todayssurvival.com. All right, so let's start with living debt-free. I have talked about this subject many times, but I'm going to talk about it again. In fact, if I talked about it on every episode, it probably wouldn't be enough, would it? It's so vitally important. Because my philosophy... Is that prepping helps you even if there is no disaster. It helps you mitigate the disaster in case the stink hits the fan for you. And it also helps you because it's going to create... A higher level of responsibility for you and your family, and that's a good thing. The biggest problem we have, not just in America, but around the world, is people not taking responsibility for themselves. I have international listeners. So, hey, a big shout out. Hello. Hello to all my international listeners outside of the United States of America. Thank you for listening. I know that you're out there because I get emails from you occasionally, plus I look at my download statistics and I can tell that other countries are downloading my show uh, quite frequently and a, f- a decent number of people are doing that as well. But personal responsibility lacks everywhere in the world and debt also lack, or is, is prevalent everywhere in the world. Now, there, there's living debt-free, and then there's also good use of debt or good use of credit. So I want to talk about those. This is just my opinion. I am not a financial advisor. I'm going to say it again. I'm not a certified financial planner. I'm not a, I don't hold a bunch of certifications in the financial planning world. Besides that, some of those people you have to take with a grain of salt anyway, because many of them are salespeople and not truly advisors, and all they want to do is sell you a product. How do I know? I'm a professional salesperson, ladies and gentlemen. That's my day job. That's how I've made my living, a nice living for 30 years. I know salespeople when I see them or when I hear them or even when I read about them. Okay, it, t- it takes one to know one and I am one and I know them. And it only takes me about five minutes of listening to somebody to figure out whether they're just trying to sell me something or whether they're really trying to help me. And by the way, you know, a good salesperson learns how to help people help people solve their problems or help people realize the benefits and the answers to their dilemma or aids them in their decision-making process. That's what a good salesperson does. A good salesperson does not push on you their product or service. A good salesperson knows how to structure the presentation and ask the right questions to find out what you need and then fit their service to your need. That's the big difference. And I can tell in about five minutes whether somebody is really trying to fit their product or service to your need or whether they are just trying to push a product or service. So you got to be careful of some of the so-called financial uh, planners. Just do your homework on them as well. What you're about to hear is Bob Main's opinions. And that's, uh, that's what it's worth. And you're also going to hear the opinions of a listener who sent me a real good email on buying and owning precious metals. So let's get into it. Let's talk about debt and debt-free living. At several times in my life over the past 10 years, I've been debt-free. At several times, I've, I've accumulated a little bit of debt. Not much, but a little. Now, I can tell you in the last 10 years, I have not accumulated any more debt than I could pay off in about 90 days. Now you might think, well, why would I accumulate the debt anyway if I could pay it off in 90 days? Because of what I just said. Because it took me 90 days to pay it off. I still have a small balance, on a card that I haven't paid off yet. Uh, And there are reasons sometimes to have one low-limit credit card. And I'm going to talk about that as well. I've changed my mind and changed my views on some things over the years. I'm a huge proponent of Dave Ramsey. And one thing that I'll differ with Dave a little bit on is Dave, you know, is basically... Asking people to cut up all their credit cards and not use them at all, period. And that is really good for somebody who is in serious financial trouble and serious debt trouble. There's no other answer than what Dave Ramsey provides for somebody that's in that situation. For somebody that's in the situation where they cannot even afford to make even close to the amount of payments of their debt payments, cut up all the credit cards, close all credit lines and be done with it and go on the strict budget that Dave talks about and get radical like he talks about and sell things off if you have to, downsize your home, downsize your vehicles, everything so that you can get out of debt in two, three, five, six years, whatever it takes you to do it. I did that. My family and I did that. We started that in 2006 and we achieved that. Now, lately I've made some purchases. Uh, I've made some dental. I've had some dental expenses uh, for me and my wife. We've had some dental expenses a, a few years back. And it came down to a cash flow decision. We could have paid cash, but we're also big believers in having liquid cash. I think that's a good prepping and survival skill. Especially today. Like I said, even before a disaster hits. If a disaster hits, having liquid cash is going to be king. I've talked about that many times. So having liquid cash is one way that you can prep for a disaster. You know, think about it. Even if there's a partial collapse, not a complete collapse, but even if there's a partial collapse in society, don't you think that people that have plenty of cash... We'll be able to get their way better than people that are broke. You know, think about that. That's just common sense. And that's what I like to talk about on this show is common sense. So it came down to a decision. And the decision was, do we spend the money and pay cash for the dental bills, therefore really reducing the amount of liquid cash that we have, Or do we put it on credit knowing that we can pay it off in three months? So, we made the decision to put it on credit. Now, you have to understand other parts of the story. Many of you know, my wife is suffering from a terminal illness. She's suffering from ALS, which is terminal. Uh, As it stands today at the time of this recording on September 7th, she's hanging in there best she can. A lot of things have to be done for her, but she's hanging in there. And you guys know I fought stage four cancer for the past almost three years now. And I beat it. Praise God. Amen. Huh? I'm uh, about a year and a half can- totally cancer free now. And uh, so God has delivered me. My faith uh, is strong right now, folks. I'm a Christian. I've told you that many times. Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior and I do believe in the divine healing powers. I also believe in good doctors. I went to MD Anderson, one of the best cancer facilities in the world. And the talented doctors there that have been given such great knowledge, they were able to get rid of my lymphoma after a brain surgery and a stem cell transplant. So needless to say, we've had to pay a lot of medical bills as well, and we like to keep liquid cash. We like to keep cash available to pay the medical bills. So that was another decision. Because you can't always put medical bills on credit. And even if you do, now you're paying interest on the medical bills if you put it on credit. Whereas medical bills are usually interest-free. You don't pay any interest on them. And a lot of times you can work out deals with hospitals and doctors to pay them off little by little. I I have a bill... Uh, from my cancer treatment where I had to pay my portion after insurance. Thank God I had great insurance. But I still had to pay some out of my own pocket. And I'm on a no interest payment plan. Okay, so technically that's a debt. But it's a no interest debt. And I've got a very reasonable payment plan. And could I pay it off in 90 days? Yeah. Matter of fact, I could write them a check right now and pay them off completely. It's not that high of a balance. We could have done the same thing with the dental bill. But what we decided to do was keep liquid cash. Now, as long as the liquid cash you have, as long as the cash on hand that you have is three times larger than the total debt you owe, it's my opinion, that's okay. Three times more than the debt. So think about that. If you got $10,000 debt, you better have $30,000 saved up in the bank. If you're carrying $10,000 in debt, you shouldn't. You shouldn't carry $10,000 in debt. But if you are carrying $10,000 in debt, have $30,000 available in liquid cash. And I don't mean assets that equal $30,000 because assets like furniture and cars and things like that, you have to sell off. Jewelry, whatever. You still got to go sell those. And you may take a loss when you go sell those. I'm talking about, can you go to the bank and withdraw $30,000 right now? That's what you should have if you got $10,000 in debt. Now, at the very least, about two and a half times your debt. But I, th- I think three times your debt is is real good. Well, we've got that. The small amounts of debt that we're carrying, we got more than three times that saved up. So, in case we do have to just pay that off, we can just pay that off. To me, it makes no sense if I've got a debt that's zero interest. That's not not a depreciating asset, by the way. I'm not talking about a zero interest car loan. That's a stupid idea because... The car is still a depreciating asset. So even though even though you're not paying any money for the financing, you're paying no interest. I get that. That's good from a financing standpoint. But the car is still a... Dep- every mile you drive your car, it depreciates. Unless you have an old antique or classic car. That's a whole different story. But that's kind of my rule of thumb with debt. So I've got this uh, dental bill that I've almost got paid off. Within another four payments, it'll be gone. I've set up a budget. I budgeted my finances to send them checks every month to pay them. And uh, I had it planned out and the plan is working perfect. Another four payments and I'll have them paid off. No more, no more dental debt. Okay. One of the reasons I, I did get a very low balance credit card is because I have a, an, an extra business now. I have an extra business beyond my day job. Okay. My day job... I use a uh, an American Express that's completely reimbursed. My expenses are completely reimbursed by my company, so I don't count that because I don't I don't accumulate any debt on that. I can't. It's just a regular American Express. I don't have a credit line on that. It's just a regular American Express that that's due every thirty days. Those are great for business, by the way, because you're if you especially if you're getting reimbursed within thirty to forty days. So that's what I do. But I'm talking about. My other business, which is a combination of the Handgun World podcast and today's survival show. Thanks to you, the listener. Thank you very much. You know, I owe you all a big thank you. Thousands of people of, uh, every week are listening to both of my shows. And I appreciate that. I've, I appreciate that very much. I had 71,000 downloads with both shows last month alone in the month of August 2016. 71,000. That's wonderful. I would have never thought that my show would have become that popular. So because of that, I have been able to make a small income. Many of you support me. You buy through my Amazon store. Thank you very much. Many of you are members of the Shooters Club video membership program that I've put together with Ben Branham from the Modern Self-Protection podcast because for preppers, firearms training and firearms skills and knowledge is one important asset. So many of you support me that way. In the past, some of you have purchased some of my Survival Champions Club podcasts, which I'll probably be putting some more of those out pretty soon. So thank you. So between both shows... And uh, small little sponsor sponsorships and everything. I make a little side income from doing this podcast. I'm not going to lie. It's not much. I can't quit my day job. But I do make a little side income. So that's now a business. I've now incorporated that business. And it's a business. Of course, i got to pay taxes. i got to pay self-employment tax on it too. And I budget my money for that. So... I took the advice of, of somebody that I respect that said, open up a small, low-limit low, low limit credit card and put all of your business expenses on that credit card. It makes it easier for accounting. You can prove your expenditures and your uh, tax write-offs a lot easier because the credit card company also keeps a record of all the charges, and it makes it nice and clean. And I'm very careful not to run up a balance that I cannot pay off. Okay, and I have more than, I have about three times, let's see, Uh, yeah, I got more than three times, more than three times that amount of money in my savings account. So any time that I want to pay it off, I do. Now, I don't just make the minimum payments on that because that's stupid and that costs a lot of interest. I make about four times the, the minimum payment. I put it into my budget to make about four times the minimum payment of that card. When you do that, you're saving money on interest. You're paying the balance off sooner. So, that's my philosophy. That's the only wise use of credit. But if you cannot back it with at least two and a half times the balance in liquid cash, I would say don't even bother to use that card. Now... I'm a big fan of American Express. I've talked about this before. Some people are not. I am. I'm a real big fan of a regular American Express charge card. Charge card. Not a credit card. It's a big difference. Charge cards are not really a line of credit. Charge cards means you're just charging it for the next 30 days. They might give you 45 days max. Otherwise, they're going to shut your card off. That forces you to be more prudent. That forces you to budget. And it forces you to make sure that you don't spend unnecessarily. Because you're going to learn that lesson pretty quick. If you overspend and you can't pay it off in 30 to 40 days. And they shut your card off. Well, now you got a useless card. And you still owe American Express a bunch of money. So that's why I'm a big fan of them. American Express typically keeps you from going into real bad debt now American Express does they do have cards that work like credit cards Uh, I don't like those I do not recommend those I would not suggest that people get one of those unless you're going to follow my plan that I just outlined outlined for you in the last 20 minutes or so okay so that's my debt plan and when it comes to houses by the way Hey, if you can have a paid-off house, terrific. That's awesome. Not a lot of people have paid-off houses. That It's great, but not a lot of people have them. You know, you think about it, the most common mortgage is a 30-year mortgage. And the percentage of people that actually stay in their house 30 years is extremely low. I know some of you listening... You have been in your house 30 years, and maybe you do have it paid off. Some of you have emailed me and told me that either you got it paid off or you're really close to paying it off. Or maybe you got a 15-year mortgage, which if I had to do it all over again, I would have got a 15-year mortgage. I know I could refinance and do a 15-year mortgage, and I might do that. I'm strongly considering that. I know that that's a good way to go if you can afford the payments. But, you know, you should also budget so that you can afford the payments. And I most of you know I live in San Antonio. The housing values are in San Antonio are, are pretty healthy. Now, I I'm, I'm not from San Antonio. Most of you know I'm a damn Yankee. <laughs> I was born in New York City, raised in Wisconsin. Of course, now I live in the nice free state of Texas. And the home values are pretty good. So I know I haven't I haven't lost a dollar on my house. As a matter of fact, I'm sure my house has appreciated. Meanwhile, I've been paying down the mortgage. So I'm in a pretty good financial position on my house. And I don't have any intention of going anywhere and leaving or selling that house anytime soon. If you're in a position where you're still way upside down on your house. Man, I tell you. My best advice, I I think. And you you can believe whoever you want to believe out there. I think it's better off to get out of that house if you can't afford the payment. And equity-wise, you're severely upside down. Get out. Take your loss and take it now. You sell it, you're probably still going to be owing some money. Put that debt on an aggressive debt snowball like Dave Ramsey teaches. Downsize. Go get a small apartment that's cheap. Even if you've got to be there three to five years to pay that debt off. And put some more money in saving, savings, and go buy a house again someday. I just I see so many people who are just drowning, and they have to work two jobs, or husband and wife got to work a total of three jobs between the two of them, you know, just to barely have a little left over after making their house payment and utility bills. Uh, I just I like to ask people, why do you still stay in that house? You know, your kids, can, your kids will adjust to another school. You guys will adjust to a, a lower cost place to live with maybe a little bit less room and, and a few less luxuries, but you'll adjust. People adjust. We're, human beings are adaptable creatures, which that's another key in survival is you got to be adaptable you got to be adaptable. You can't be pig-headed and always feel like your life has to always be a certain way or it's not worth living. The Apostle Paul said you've got to learn to be content. That's one of the greatest lessons I've learned in the New Testament. The Apostle Paul saying that you need to learn to be content. Of course, the Apostle says, the Apostle Paul says, learn to be content because all things are possible and all things are good through Christ Jesus. but the principle of just learning just having contentment is is important and that's also a that's a survival mentality that's a survival philosophy so now a little bit about investing and again i'm not an investment advisor uh, i'm in the handgun world not the handgun world what i mean I'm, th- I'm thinking my other podcast i'm in the today's survival show mobile studio <laughs> it's the same studio it's the same mobile studio I dictate handgun world podcasts from it, and today is survival show. I hope you're listening to both my podcasts. By the way, the subject matter is obviously quite a bit different on both podcasts. I'm a firearms enthusiast, and I am also very much a like Tom like Tom Abrams said uh, in a couple episodes ago. I'm I'm a prepper light, and I, I might be getting a little bit more prepper heavy pretty soon. But right now, I'm a prepper light. But you know, most prepper lights. Are far more prepared than the average person in the world. Because not only is the average person not a prepper light, they're a no prepper at all, most of them. Do you know people like that? I'll bet you do. So, Chris from Arizona sent me an interesting email because in episode uh, 283 I was talking about buying gold and silver. And I'm gonna share some of Chris's email. Don't worry, I've got it I've got a lot of it memorized. I'm gonna paraphrase a lot of this. I am driving and I'm not taking my eyes off the road. I can I can glance at my notes without taking my eyes off the road. I'm being very careful doing this. I'm used to doing it, or I wouldn't be doing it, because while I'm driving on the road, going to to and from business appointments, safety is the most important thing. So that's why I'm definitely not going to be reading anything word for word. But first of all, Chris, uh, Chris thanks me for the work that I've done over the years. Hey, by the way, you know, both my podcasts are over seven years old. I started today's survival show in July 2009, and I started the Handgun World podcast in August of 2009. So I've been doing this over seven years on both shows. It's all because of you, the listener. But Chris wanted to offer some comments on investing in gold and silver. He said he's not an expert either, but he's got some experience. He said he started collecting, and again, I'm paraphrasing, he started collecting precious metals and coins at age 10. He's 48 now. So yeah, I guess he's got some Uh, experience, doesn't he? He says, first of all, get out of debt with the exception of maybe your mortgage. Now, this is before buying precious metals. See? It it follows the theme of what I just got done talking about previously. So, let me take a quick break right now. i got to make a stop, and I'll be right back. Okay, I'm back. So, he said, get out of debt first before buying precious metals. And he says, it might be hard, but you have to do it so that you're not forced into selling your precious metals at the wrong time. Yeah, what he's talking about is like when tough times hit and you haven't saved an emergency fund and you've got a bunch of debt and so you go and you sell off your gold and silver to pay off the debts or to have the money to take care of that emergency. And he said it's not not a good idea to consider buying precious metals as investing. I mentioned that. Uh, in episode 283 he said you buy precious metals to be more to serve more as a as a savings plan not necessarily an investment plan if you make money on them great but you can also lose money on them but the great thing about precious metals is they're never worth zero they're always worth something and they typically appreciate when there's a lot of inflation and they're a great hedge against Inflation. He says when you save money in the bank, you're likely to get a small amount of interest, but the problem is inflation is probably going to more than eat up any interest that you might get on a savings or checking account. So that interest is pretty much useless. So he says saving a minimum of six to 12 months after tax and living expenses is highly recommended. Then the next choice might be to put some physical physical cash in a safe place. And I'm a big believer in that. Physical cash in a safe place. I'm not going to say publicly on the air where I like to keep cash. But you can figure it out for your own needs. But Chris brought up a good point. He said you can balance between risk, liquidity, and Access. So what's the risk you're taking? What is your level of liquidity? And what is your access to the money? Liquidity and access being pretty much the same thing. The enemy of this kind of strategy of putting away cash or putting it in savings account is guess what? What do you think the enemy of that is? Inflation. Every year those dollars that are in an envelope or in your safe or in your savings account, slowly become worth less and less because of inflation. Now, next he says, this is all before buying precious metals. And just, I think there's some pretty good reasonable advice here in Chris's email. He says, maximize your 401k. Now, I'm going to tell you about a huge re- regret that I have. A huge Regret. I'm going to turn 55 in November of 2016. My huge regret is that I'm not semi retired already. I should be and I could have been. The problem is I was a fool with my money, a total fool until I was about 43 years old. I was a total fool. I'm not going to go into a whole lot of details. Maybe one day I will. I'm not ashamed of it anymore. I'm not ashamed. I have regrets about it, but I'm not ashamed of it anymore. But if I'd have been smarter when I was younger and invested money and kept on on investing it like people kept telling me to do and I wouldn't listen to them, I wouldn't have to work full-time today. So you young folks out there, and when I say young folks, if you're below 30 years old, and you're listening to this podcast, you have a tremendous opportunity when you're 55, like me, you have a tremendous opportunity to be financially well-off, to be financially independent, and to be semi-retired or completely retired. Now, retirement doesn't always mean that you sit around and do nothing and sit on your front porch and play on your computer and, uh, and weed your garden once in a while and just hang out at home and do nothing. That's not what retirement is. I will tell you, I will tell you that I have been somewhat retired since I was 26 years old. Now, wh- you're saying, well, Bob, what do you mean? You just said that you have regrets and you wish that you were retired. Well, there's different ways of retiring. My regrets is about money. Financially, I should be retired already, but I'm not. So financially, to pay the bills I have, I still have to work full-time. Now, there's also emotional retirement. Now, I'm emotionally semi-retired. I've been emotionally semi-retired since I was 26. Actually, about 25. What does that mean? Well, what that means is... Whether you're working or not. And here's how I define work. I got this from Tom Hopkins, one of my early mentors at an early age. I worked for him for seven years. Work is something that you're doing when you'd rather be doing something else. I'll say that again. Work is something that you're doing when you would rather be doing something else. I love what I do. I love the work that I have been doing ever since I was 25 years old. I totally love outside sales. I like the independence of it. I like the freedom of it. I like the fact that I'm, different, I'm dealing with different challenges every single day, so I'm never bored by it. I learned very quickly with some good training when I was a young man how to be effective Selling, how to get my point across, how to learn how to close and prospect and make a healthy living at it. So, hey, I'm having a blast. I'm having a blast. So I'm emotionally semi-retired because I'm not I'm not doing something I'd rather be doing. I mean, I'm not doing something when I'd rather be doing something else. Okay, there's nothing else I'd rather be doing right now. Now, in the coming years I might be shifting my sales ability to a different type of career but it's still going to be sales and marketing oriented. So, And I'll share with you some more of my thoughts on that in uh, future episodes coming up. So that's what I mean by being emotionally semi-retired. And I'll be fully retired when I'm doing something that is going to be the next chapter in my life and I'm having a tremendous amount of fun with it. And again, I'll talk to you about that probably in oh, in a few months in some future episodes once once the venture that I'm working on takes off is completely founded and becomes viable. You'll hear about it So getting back to Chris's email, he said the next choice might be to place physical cash in a safe place. We've talked about that, but I wanted to review a little bit because I got off on a little bit of a tangent and he says, I recommend doing this with enough money to buy essentials such as gas, groceries, etc. for a year. Yeah, I'm big on that. Have a year's worth of expenses in the bank, gas, groceries, utilities, right? that's what most people need to sustain themselves some of you if you live off-grid or you have utilities such as water and electric that you're getting you've figured out how to get for next to nothing or even for nothing well that's great then that's that's a huge uh huge prepping skill and prepping situation that you have been able to master and that's terrific You know, do you have enough money in the bank before you buy any precious metals? Do you have enough money in the bank to cover your expenses for a year? My wife and I do. More than that. We could cover our expenses for a little bit more than a year. Okay, and getting back to maximizing your 401k. I said a few episodes ago, I think 401ks are a good deal. Even if your 401k makes no money at all. Let's say you have no growth. Let's say you don't make any extra income. In other words, no, your investments don't grow. You still get a return from your employer instantly. It's an instant return that hits your account. In my case, my employer pays 50% of every dollar I put into 401k, up to a maximum. So they're paying 50%. So I'm I'm getting an instant 50% return whether my investments make a single dollar. Now, you stretch that over several years and obviously the average per year is low assuming I didn't make any money. But I'm pretty, you know, I'm smart enough to put it into investments that are going to make money and I watch it closely. And, you know, when, when one fund starts to go south, and, and if it's showing too long of a history of, of getting bad, I'll move it into another fund that's either more stable or starts to make a little bit money again. So over the long term, that grows. But I get 50% right away. So I can weather some losses because I'm getting 50% from my employer. Oh, and the other thing is about 401k, it's very tax advantageous. Now, they're not tax exempt. I'm going to have to pay taxes on that money when I begin to pull it out at age 59 and a half, which I'm not too far from 59 and a half. That's if I start taking it out at 59 and a half. I might and I might not, depending on what my situation is. But it also makes my taxable income smaller. Now, some of you might be saying, well, Bob, I, I can't afford to put any money in, a, any serious money in a 401k. Well, then you need to change your budget. You need to change your spending habits. You need to change your income. And you need to change your lifestyle. Because, you know, really, we, we could live in a bigger house. My family and I, we could live in a bigger house. We could have more amenities for my disabled wife. We could ha- I could be I could be driving fancier cars. instead of driving two old Hondas, I could have a couple new cars in the driveway. You know I, I could have even more expensive guns than what I have. You know I could have all kinds of cool things. But I choose not to have some of those because I value a large bank account. I value liquid cash. I value appreciation of my home and equity in my home. I value the freedom I have knowing that I'm not saddled with a bunch of debt. I value laying my head on the pillow when I go to bed at night sleeping well and not worrying about how am I going to pay my bills this month because we live on slightly over 80% of the money that comes now about 85 we live on about 85% of the money that i make and oh and by the way that includes giving to our church and giving to charities because that's what god commands us to do we're supposed to give a portion of our money back to god and so i do so all that we're living within about 85 to 86% of what I bring in. Well, what does that mean? That means I can save the rest. And between my 401k and our savings account, we're pretty much saving the rest. Now, we do have some blow money that we that we just blow and that's great because you know that's one of Dave Ramsey's programs. He says you got to have fun. You know, you got to have fun with your life and you got to have fun with the money that you work so hard to save and to budget, so have some blow money. And believe me, I blow my blow money. Alright, so those are some of the uh, goals that Chris says that you should, you should achieve before you start investing in precious metals. Now, he said determine a fixed amount of money that fits your budget to buy precious metals. And he says, like, take, for example, the third Thursday of every month. On the third Thursday of every month, you're going to buy some, some precious metals, whatever your budget allows you to buy. He says he tends to avoid Friday and Monday due to the volatility that comes from the financial reports, like the unemployment or the GDP reports. He said it's a very effective dollar cost averaging. The precious metals markets are volatile, and this will serve you well over many years. And, you know, that's great. That, Chris, is, I'm, I learned so much from this. And I'm going to follow a lot of this advice. Now, in my podcast episode not too long ago, I suggested 8 to 10% of your net worth to put into precious metals. Now, Chris says he seems to think that, you know, given the, given the uh, precarious nature of of the U.S. economy and the fact that the U.S. economy is not doing very well. He thinks that it should be about 20% built up methodically over time. We may have a little bit of a difference of, a, of opinion there, but somewhere between, between 10 and 20% of all your assets in precious metals might not be a bad idea. Chris advises buying three types. Each serves a different purpose. Not necessarily in this order, but first is gold bullion. It provides wealth preservation. Uncirculated coins or bars can be stored and used after the collapse when society has stabilized and the economy is starting to rebuild. It'll guarantee you have assets in the new world and gold has the advantage of being able to be put Incredible to put incredible value into a very small space. Yeah, that's what I like. You can buy a one-tenth ounce gold eagle coin, and you got a lot of valuable there. And how much room does a tenth of an ounce coin take up? Even an ounce of gold, a lot of value in a small space. He said, "This is one place where I think the one-tenth ounce gold eagles make sense for transactional." use. And I've said this before, you know, if there's a huge collapse, it could get to the point where you're having to use your gold and silver to make some transactions. It's going to be a lot easier to make a transaction with a couple one-tenth ounce gold coins than it would be with one ounce pieces or even larger. I mean, think about how much you pay right now for an ounce of gold. You know how many people? How many people have that cash laying around where they could just buy five ounces of gold off you? Okay, or or where they'll just you know they can't take an ounce of gold in payment. They don't have the ability to make that much change for you, especially if there's a collapse. But if you got a tenth ounce gold coin, or even if you have a small small amount of silver, you can use it to make transactions. Another method he says is silver bullion. Uncirculated coins and bars are more speculative in nature, but silver has the propensity sometimes to outperform gold on a percentage basis. Percentage of increase. Percentage of appreciation. So that's something else to think about. Now, something else to consider are the 90% U.S. silver coins. These are dimes, quarters, and half dollars made before 1965 when the U.S. mint still made these coins with 90% silver content. Now, note he did not include nickels in that list. Uh, these circulated coins will primarily serve the purpose of replacing the U.S. dollar for conducting transactions in the future. Okay, Their condition doesn't matter much, and they're small denominations, and you can make change pretty easily. And the coins can also be sold off in speculation if you choose, if you want to, but silver bullion would be better for that purpose if you're going to sell it off in speculation, like if you want to pay off a mortgage or something like that. So, for example, if your groceries and gas cost you $7,500 a year, you should have about $500 in face value of the 90% silver coins because they're currently trading for about 15 times face value and given that the prices in silver should remain somewhat stable this year will give or this this will give you a year of currency to cover expenses a year of currency that will be valuable and worth something if there's a, a total economic collapse or even a huge por- partial economic collapse where dollars become worth very very little now Chris spent some time also in this email explaining how to purchase precious metals, and I really like his advice here. Sorry, I got interrupted by a phone call. Had to make some money. That's the way it works out. Well... Right now I'm not traveling, so I'm going to finish the rest of this up. So Chris was talking about how to purchase precious metals. And one of the things I like, he said a very important consideration is the premium that you pay when you buy your precious metals. For example, a one-ounce Silver Eagle will sell for about $4 over the spot price of silver. That $4 is the premium. And it seems like a lot, but many dealers will pay one to two over spot when you go to sell them those Silver Eagles. So for a silver bar, the dealer may sell them one to two dollars over spot. Initially, you might think that that's a better deal, but many dealers will only buy these items back at one to two dollars under spot. So again, the spread might be that two to four dollar difference. And also, remember, there's, there's not even any guarantee you'll even get spot price for your coins when you sell. So he says, this is why I say it is good to have a certain cash position so you can sell at any time that is convenient for you. I My personal opinion is I like to do business. I like to find somebody that... that is a, a reputable, good, honest person as a dealer locally. I, I don't care for buying precious metals over the internet. This is my opinion that I'm injecting here. Even if there's special deals on the internet, I'm not a big fan of that. Uh, for a couple of reasons. I like to support local dealers and local merchants, but also uh, that relationship to me is very important. Uh, Extremely important in in here in San Antonio. I'm not going to give out the name, but there is a um, there's somebody I'm working with who is a uh, firearms and precious metals dealer that I'll be making a purchase through for some uh, precious metals pretty soon. And And I think that he'll work with me on his purchase price. And also, here's a relationship with somebody that I can go back to if I need to go resell that silver. So think about that. And Chris says in general, premiums are going to be four to five percent for one ounce gold and as high as 10 to 20 percent for silver. A one-tenth ounce gold eagle will trade at a much higher premium than a full ounce. Uh, So it means that you do not want to trade a lot. You need to consider these precious metal purchases as sunk costs you're behind right out of the gate, so don't think you'll just sell if you need it later. Be clear on why you're buying precious metals. Now, here here's a very important po- point that I like. Once you make the purchase, you're pretty much committed until prices move in your favor. And see, that's true. That's true. The thing is, is you got to commit. You have to say, okay, I'm going to take this percentage of money that I have to... Uh, To spend, and this is the percentage. I'm just going to go ahead and buy precious metals with this percentage of my money. And again, as I mentioned earlier, and as Chris mentioned, it's a savings program, not necessarily an investment. Consider the money you make if you make money on precious metals, consider that a bonus, consider that gravy, consider that the icing on the top. But what you want to do is you want to hedge. Part of your money in case there is a, a partial or even a full collapse, you got something that's worth something. Okay? If the United States economic system crashes or or whatever country you're from and your currency is worthless and the price of things are three to four times higher or your currency is only worth half of what it was and prices of goods and services are three to four times higher than they used to be at least your gold and your silver you've got something that's worth something that's worth some money and if you've purchased it in small increments you can also use them as currency or you can barter with them uh, or if you can find somebody to pay you pay you something for them you you can do that now Chris also mentions never use credit or margin to buy precious metals and don't buy online dealers will often add credit card fees and shipping costs to your purchases which puts you at a further disadvantage when it's time to sell he says I also feel you do not want others to have records of your purchases good point good point if the premiums are reasonable and the dealer is reputable, purchasing local with cash is the way to go. That's what I'm going to do. That's what I just got done talking about. Now, I want to wrap this up with storage of your precious metals. There's more details in Chris's email. Again, Chris, thank you very much for doing that. I appreciate that. There are more details here, and maybe in the next episode I'm going to cover some more details. But I want to talk about storage um, he says many banks, like Chase, have now banned storing precious metals in a safe deposit box. He says I can put my tin foil hat on here, and that's okay, Chris. Sometimes, sometimes I allow a little bit of tin foil hattery to get through on today's survival show. And he says, and I can tell you what I think about that at another time. Oh, shoot! I was hoping that he was going to do that. <laughs> hey, Chris. Uh, send me the tinfoil hattery email when you get a chance because I'll probably cover some of it here on today's survival show but he says if you put your metals in a safe deposit box you'll need the bank to open that when you want to go get them And and there's the problem because banks could have an issue in a collapse banks may not be open banks could have serious issues and if you're at the mercy of the bank to get to your gold or silver that's not a good thing So if you simply have to use a safe deposit box, find banks that are locally owned and operated because they're a lot less likely to take orders from the, the government and get to know the bankers, build a relationship with the bankers. I'm a big fan of just have a good safe. Have a good safe at home that's real well secured and have your home well secured. Have your home well secured. In all kinds of ways. I've talked a lot about home security on this podcast. And I'm going to talk a little bit more coming up soon about some up-to-date methods. And kind of bring you up-to-date on some things. But if your home is well secured and you got a good safe, I would say that's a good place for your precious metals. Don't go cheap if you're going to buy a vault or a safe. Okay? And then Chris also says, very good point, be prepared to fight to protect it. As much as it takes. Because I've mentioned this many times. Desperate people will do desperate things. During desperate times. And even the people that you may not expect. They will get desperate. And they'll do desperate things. And when you have things. And they find out that you have preps. Especially something like. Precious metals that could be used. For currency or for bartering. You better be ready. Again, that's why I say you may own a gun, but do you know how to use it? Have you educated yourself as to what you should learn? If you do become a member of the Shooters Club and support this podcast and the Handgun World podcast that I do, basically what you're going to get from those videos is you're going to know what you need to learn. It's not going to substitute for training, but it'll open your mind and open your eyes as to what you need to know. So think about that. It's only $8 a month to join that and, uh, and support me and uh, support Ben Branham. Uh, security systems, cameras, dogs, landmines, razor wire, you name it. Chris says those are appropriate. Get good at headshots. <laughs> Very true for the hostage scenario. And uh, <laughs> I got a good chuckle out of that because uh, I, I've been criticized in the past for teaching people when I teach a firearms class to shoot headshots it's very real a a very real necessity that or a skill that you need to learn because it might be a necessity okay and again there's a lot more detail but I want to close with this more details are coming in the near future probably the next episode he closes with this and it's great he says you know frankly." I think the financial fail- failure of the U.S. Is, is the most likely disaster we face. I'll say that again because I kind of screwed it up. He says, finally, while I think the financial failure of the U.S. is the most likely disaster we are going to face, you can't rely totally on precious metals. They should only be part of a person's larger preparedness plan. Gold, silver, water... Beans, bullets, shelter, food, skills, people skills that I've talked about on this podcast. Things like that are all part of your entire plan. So he says start small and work into it over time. Thank you, Chris. Uh, This is a a fantastic, knowledgeable email. And uh, I'm going to email Chris back and see if I can get his permission to put his post on today's survival show forum if you have not become a member of the forum please do do so go to today's survival.com go to the forum section sign up you have to do one more step you got to send me an email and you got to say hey bob i signed up for the forum and this is the username i used and i'll get your account approved probably in 12 hours or less this is my method for keeping spammers off the forum i want it to be just listeners to today's survival show finally uh don't forget this show is sponsored by the self-defense excuse me it's sponsored it's part of (laughs) i'm sorry it's part of the self-defense radio network which is sponsored by the armed citizens legal defense network if you carry a gun you got to check out what the armed citizens legal defense network has to offer uh paul lathrop owner of the polite society podcast just recently went through A terrible event where he was arrested and jailed and it cost him several thousand dollars, tens of thousands of dollars, just to get his name cleared and the charges eventually dropped. But he did not have protection that the Armed Citizens Legal Defense Network offers. So check it out. There will be a link in the show notes for the Armed Citizens Legal Defense Network. Please use the uh, tracking code Paul Lathrop. Paul Lathrop. L-A-T-H-R-O-P. Please use that tracking code or the number 15625. two five one five six two five. It'll be in the show notes. So if you're driving, working out, or whatever, listening to me, and you can't remember this, don't worry. Before you uh, go to Armed Citizens Legal Defense Network, go to the posting. Go to the uh, posting for this episode. Find it and uh, find the show notes. And let me see. Let me figure out what episode number this is. Okay, I just looked it up. It's episode 286, 286. And go to the show notes and you'll see the tracking code right there. So if you sign up for Armed Citizens Legal Defense Network on the internet, please put in that tracking code in the notes, in the comments section. Uh, Over in the margin at todayssurvival.com, I will also put the tracking code in there so you know what it is. You can either use Paul Lathrop or one five six. Folks, thanks again for listening to another episode of today's Survival Show. I'm Bob Main. I'm your host. It's my goal to help you do what you can with what you have, wherever you are. I'll talk to you next time.